0: Podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, if you're expecting Glenn Packiam right here, um, I am not him. And uh, Glenn, as mentioned earlier by Matthew, uh, is in Kalamazoo, Michigan tonight. And uh, we'll be back, uh, I think he flies in later tonight or earlier in the morning. So, um, so I have the privilege of, of sharing and talking with you tonight, which I'm always uh, honored to do here at Sunday night. And um, has anybody in here taken the Strength Finders test? Anybody done, you know, the little book, it's got the code in the back, you go online, and you uh, punch in your code, and it's like this 20 minutes of, like, magic, because you're like, ooh, I wonder what it's going to tell me, and you always wonder if it's going to be accurate or not, and if it's going to tell you something that you don't already know. Well, I've done that, and uh, and, and I, so I punched in the code and, and did the whole deal, and, uh, and then, you know, your results come back, and mine came back, strategic was my number one. Um, for any of you who have taken this, you might understand some of the language. I'm not going to take too much time here to explain it right now, but strategic, uh, learner, belief, self-assurance. Self-assurance is um, strength-finder language for pride and arrogance. Um, <laughs> and uh, an includer. And so, uh, so, so anyway, those combination kind of makes for who I am. Um, Which is kind of cool because, you know, the whole idea behind Strength Finder is then that you spend time working on your God-given strengths rather than trying to make your weaknesses uh, stronger because your weaknesses will never become your strengths, essentially is the premise behind all that. And I wonder sometimes if we don't take our Strength Finder attitude and apply it to the spiritual gifts. And kind of think, well, I wonder what my spiritual gifts are. And I'm just going to work on those things so that I can be a stronger person. And I can be more of the person who God has called me to be so that I can be more me. me more, more of who God has called me to be. And I, I think the problem with that particular approach is that it's all about us. And we're here in a, in a series talking about the spiritual gifts And I wonder if we don't approach the gifts too often from our strength finder, American culture, consumer mentality that says everything is all about me. And I wonder if our approach is off. You know, the key is in the approach. If you approach basketball as if you're playing football, you're going to get a lot of fouls. You're not going to play any basketball. You're going to be out in the first couple of minutes. You know, if you tackle the guy with the ball, (laughs) as you would in football, you're going to get a foul. You probably actually won't even get all five fouls or six fouls, depending on if you're playing in college or the NBA, because you're going to get ejected from the game. Your approach to the game has every—doesn't matter how great of a football player you are, your approach is everything. And I think our approach to the gifts is everything. Do we see the gifts as all and primarily about us, or do we see the gifts as primarily about God and His church? See, N.T. Wright says a spiritual gift is God's gift to the whole church through the individual who has received it. It's not about us. It's about God working through us to his church tonight, we're going to talk about the gift of tongues. I want to publicly on podcast. Thank you, Glenn, for um, <laughs> for giving me this opportunity and putting you know giving the most controversial, difficult, and maybe sensitive subject to me. Thank you, Glenn. Um, <laughs> actually, in some ways, I actually would am honored that he would he would trust me enough to talk about this with you. Um, and I think that. Of all the gifts, um, you know, we've been talking about the gift of prophecy and the gift of the discernment of spirits and the gift of giving, and, and actually even in this series we're not covering all of them that are at least listed within the Bible, um, but there are, there are a lot of gifts, and, and of all of them, I would say that the one that we're going to talk about tonight is probably the most controversial, uh, the most uh, misunderstood, actually, is what I would suggest to all of us. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is that it oftentimes is poorly packaged. And the reason I say poorly packaged is because it is in the Scriptures. The gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues is in the Scriptures. So if it is somehow, um, if we would say, well, I don't like that. It's, we, we take the throwing the baby out with the bathwater... What we're saying is, the packaging ruins the package, and I don't think the packaging has ruined the package. The gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues is in the Scripture, and so what I would hope for us, and I don't know where all of us kind of are coming from in regards to our background. Some of you might have grown up in the charismatic Pentecostal circles, which you're like, oh, it's about time we talk about this. And then uh, there's others of you that might have grown up in a, in a church where it just was kind of ignored. It wasn't necessarily talked about in positively or negatively. It was kind of a, a out of sight, out of mind. We just won't even um, try and try and address it. We'll just leave it over in the, in the corners. Maybe it'll collect enough dust that nobody will see it. Or maybe you've even come from uh, an, another, uh, another background, and that's the background that says if you go to a church or you walk into a church that says, that, that talks about or embraces the gift of tongues, run away. <laughs> I, I actually went to a Christian school uh, growing up, and in that Christian school, they um, actually communicated that if you go to a church that talks about or embraces the gift of tongues, um, that church is, is full of the devil. Um, that's, it's devil language, it's not God language, it's devil language. And so run away, run away, and run away. And 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 um, and so so I'm not sure which approach you're you're maybe coming from, or what kind of background you're coming from, what kind of baggage you carry in in this particular topic. Um, so, my, but my encouragement to all of us tonight, and not just tonight, but in any type of topic um, that maybe is a little bit of controversial or has some sort of or a level of baggage that might come along with it, is to put all of that aside, put your put your baggage down. And really just approach the Scriptures. And my hope tonight is that we can open the Scriptures together and and find out what God has to say about this. Um, so please don't take my opinion uh, here tonight. And uh, I tr- I'm tr- going to try my best not to inject my talk with opinion, though I don't think that that's completely possible. Um, but feel free to disregard any opinion uh, or thoughts that I have and i put into this. Uh, and really go to the Scriptures. Um, I would encourage you, if this is maybe a new talk for you tonight, uh, or if this is something that has been a lot of a question in your mind, is to read the book of Acts um, and, and ask yourself, if I am part of this church, which is the New Testament church, post-cross and post-resurrection, uh, post-Jesus ascending and the Holy Spirit coming to, coming to earth, if I am part of this church, should these types of things... Now, how or in what way, let's put that aside, but should these types of things, which include speaking in tongues, be a part of my life? It's the only question that I would ask you to, to ask yourself as you read the Scripture, okay? So, so, so I want to start off tonight by talking about a few different myths, maybe some, some different ideas that um, I would consider to be myths. Some people would preach them as doctrine, but myth number one is that it is it, meaning the the gift of tongues is the only evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is not the only evidence. There is a... I grew up actually, um, when I, in my younger years, um, I grew up in the Assembly of God church, and, and my, the particular church that I went to um, believed that it was, if you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you were engaging the gifts of the Spirit, then speaking in tongues would be an evidence, the evidence, that that was actually happening. If you did not speak in tongues, then um, you did not have, uh, you did not encounter the Holy Spirit. And so that was the evidence. don't think that that's true. I don't think that it is the evidence. I think it can be an evidence. Um, I know lots and lots of people um, that have experienced Speaking in tongues. I know lots of wonderful people that have uh, asked for and, and embraced the work of the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues. Um, and but I, I do want to say that they—it's not that they don't speak in tongues because they don't want it. They have asked for it. They continue to pray for it. Um, and and so I just I just would like to suggest and place uh, for us that it is not just. Um, something that is say, okay, well I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, therefore I must speak in tongues. I think that what we must keep in mind is that God is the the Holy Spirit is the giver of the gifts. All we are responsible for is the asking part. And so uh, and so so if we can keep the attitude and the heart posture of an asker and allow God to be the giver, then I think we're in a good place. Number two is I will lose control and fall into a trance if I speak in tongues. I, my body will lose control. I have no control over my mouth, my tongue, everything. It's like, it's like some sort of thing you might see in a movie or something like that, and all of a sudden my body is going to be taken over. The Apostle Paul is writing the book of Corinthians actually to some, some people who came out of some pagan religions, and in those pagan religions speaking in tongues or some sort of gibberish um, did happen when they would have fallen into some sort of trance. And so, so can that happen? Absolutely. Um, it, but does it happen when you're, because of uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or because of uh, engaging the gift of speaking in tongues? No. The God, God is looking for us to surrender our wills to Him, But at the same time, that does not mean that God is going to supersede our wills. In other words, God is not going to take control of you and move your mouth, move your tongue. And somehow, I think there's even been a little bit of an uh, an impression in some circles within uh, charismatic Pentecostal Christianity that says that if you do lose control, that somehow you're more engaged in Holy Spirit activity. I think that that is craziness. (laughs) See, one of the reasons that, that we might say, well, I don't want to engage in something like speaking in tongues is because we say, well, that's really weird and that's out of control. The Holy Spirit is not out of control. People are out of control. <laughs> the Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. Yeah. And just because people are weird doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is weird. And so what I would hope for us to be able to understand is that the Holy Spirit is God and that the Holy Spirit is has, has gifts for us to operate in and has for us to surrender our lives to Him, but it doesn't mean that somehow we're going to be out of control. So we are to surrender ourselves to Him by saying, I give you my life, I deny myself, I pick up my cross, and I follow after Him. But in so doing, I haven't lost control. Number three, myth number three about tongues... I am a mature Christian because I speak in tongues. Somehow, well, if I speak in tongues, then I am like a a better Christian than somebody who doesn't, or somebody who doesn't is a lower class of Christian than the person who does. Maturity in Christ is not based upon operation of the gifts. Maturity in Christ is based upon the operation of the gifts being done out of love and in order. The Corinthians, when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he was writing a corrective letter. He was correcting some craziness that was going on in the Corinthian church. They were getting drunk on communion. They were withholding communion from some people. Um, actually, there was, there was some guys that were having sex with their mother-in-law. Some crazy things going on there. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's some ma- craziness going on in public gatherings. They had prophecies and tongue talking and all these things going on in the middle of these services and they were basically out of control. They were immature Christians. They were operating within the gifts of the Spirit. They were they had the they, they were speaking in tongues, they were prophesying, but they were not mature because they were not operating out of love. They were very self-centered and they were not o- operating in an orderly fashion, which was also a distinguishing factor of the gift of tongues. If you're... just because you speak English doesn't make you a great American. <laughs> there are lots of other things that would contribute to us being a good citizen besides the fact that we speak English. And so just because you might speak in... I know some people who speak in tongues who are absolutely immature and totally, totally crazy. And I know some other people who do not speak in tongues and they're very mature. So operating within, with the gift of tongues is not put somebody on some sort of uh, class ladder within Christianity. We are supposed to be maturing. The Bible talks very much about maturing and growing in Christ. Hebrews chapter 5 and, and, and Hebrews chapter 6 talks about moving on from the elementary teachings, from growing from milk to meat. God has for us to mature in Christ. And so this, there is a level of maturity, but it is not the operation of the gift in our lives that determines or signifies our maturity. It is how we operate within the gifts of the Spirit that signifies maturity. Number four, the tongue, tongues and other gifts are no longer active or available today. I think, now this is actually something that is preached pretty, um, pretty widely today. Um, this is not something that that, uh, that that has kind of died off or anything like that. Some of you might have even grown up in, in a, a church like that um, I, this is my I, my personal opinion I know that there are a few different scriptures i 'm aware of we 're not going to go over that here tonight, but there 's a few different scriptures here and there throughout the scripture that they would that that that, that, um, that group would take is regard to saying that it 's not the Holy Spirit's not active today, I think it takes more theological gymnastics to come to that conclusion than it does to say that the, whole, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation today is active and available for all of us. It takes more theological gymnastics and stretching to say that the Holy Spirit is, is no longer active and do, is not available to us in all of the ways that it was available to the New Testament church than it does to say that those things are completely active, that the Holy Spirit is completely active, and all of the gifts are available to us today. And there's also something else that I think we should keep in mind, and that is this. It's in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 17, and it's talking about Jesus. And he says, and Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about his, his followers, and he says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. That would be us. If you're a believer in here tonight, those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons... They will speak in new tongues. Jesus said we would do it. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Now you're thinking, okay, next week is, is snake handling? Is that what we're going we're to do here? Glenn's going to come in with a, a snake? I, no. What Paul is talking about here is if you were to get bitten by a snake, there's actually a passage where Paul reaches near a fire and, 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 uh, and a snake bites him and it does not hurt him. He's saying here, that if you accidentally get bitten by a snake, if you not if you intentionally handle snakes, if you, you know, unintentionally are bitten by a snake and if you uh, accidentally drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Jesus said we would do it. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy... that we have today is the same Holy Spirit that was active in the book of Acts. And so... We, of course, are coming then from the premise here tonight and have been for the last several weeks that the Holy Spirit is active and the gifts of the Spirit are active and available for all of us today. Now, before we jump into some of the reasons for tongues, I want to just say that, that actually maybe a better translation of tongues, and sometimes the, the word tongues can trip us up a little bit, that a better translation or maybe a more precise translation would be the gift of Languages. Um, and so, so I will, st- throughout this talk here tonight, we'll still use the phraseology gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues rather than languages. Though some people have taken, well, gift of languages means that it must be an earthly language. And so if you speak in tongues and if we can't figure out what language it belongs to here on this planet, then it must not be from God. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, It says, if if you speak in the tongues of men or of angels, indicating that, yes, it can be, and I'll tell a story here in just a little bit, that it can be, and we'll see here in the first chapter of Acts, that it can be a language that is known here on the earth. But I believe it also can be an angelic or a heavenly or a non-earthly language. Okay, so... Uh, With that kind of starting point, kind of identifying some of the myths where we stand here tonight, um, I want to talk about four distinct reasons for tongues. Number one is to communicate the gospel to unbelievers. Now, I want to start here in Acts chapter 2. This, of course, is right when uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Right before that, he said, I've got a command for you. I want you to go to the uttermost bounds of the earth, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea. Which comes second? Judea. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. And so he's saying, take the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, the, uh, the, the message of the cross around the world. And he says, but I want you to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because it is the Holy Spirit that will endue you with power to become my witnesses. In, order, in other words, they are, the Holy Spirit will enable you to fulfill the commission that I've given to you. And so here we are in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it says, "'When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place.'" Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, so we don't know necessarily if it was actually windy there, but at least we know that it was a sound of wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and, and see, that's where some of the word tongue comes from, tongues of fire that separated and came to, to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. One, one thing here, just as we, as we continue on, is to recognize here the beginning of the church. Okay, this is the, very, this is the beginning and the establishment of the church. The first thing that the church did, the apostles, waiting for the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the commission of God, is they spoke in tongues. Not like... Something they figured out a hundred days later, a month later, a week later, is the first thing that the church did. On the first day, the first minute of the church's existence, people spoke in tongues. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. Now, there were staring in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They weren't out preaching on the street corners in tongues. They were all in a room together, and the Holy Spirit descends on them, and they start speaking in tongues, speaking in languages unbeknownst to them. And people outside of the room heard about that, or heard them. And so the apostles weren't speaking to the crowd, which I think is an important uh, little thing to recognize as we read this passage of scripture, the other thing is, is and we hear this at the very end, we hear that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, so here they are worshipping God in another tongue i 've often heard people and i 've had the experience where there, somebody went we worshipping, and then they they transition from worship into tongues. I believe that tongues comes out of and is born out of worship. A heart of worship. And one of the reasons I think that is true, and it goes back to what we started with, and that is that tongues is not about us. The gifts is about God and His church. And God is interested in building and expanding His church. And so here they are hanging out together, Holy Spirit descends on them. They start speaking in tongues. And what does it do? It starts talking to the people outside of the room and communicating about God to them in their own language. I have a friend of mine who um, was actually preaching at a church several, several years ago in Oklahoma. And Oklahoma um, has a lot of Indian uh, background and roots and tribes and things like that. There's a uh, city in... And uh, I used to live in Tulsa. there was a, a city in Oklahoma, Tahlequah, and you know lots of indian type type names and um, and and he went into the church and he was, he was preaching that line, that night and, and afterwards he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there was this guy there that he was praying over and talking, about, talking to him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The guy said, I want that. So he prayed over him and prayed over him for the gift of tongues. The guy started speaking in tongues. Now, the guy who was, my, my friend, who was praying over him thought, I don't know if this is I mean, it sounds kind of like he's maybe forcing something. I don't know. Maybe he's making something up. And so, he, you know, wanted to, to give him some space or whatever. But while that's happening, this guy starts walking down from the lobby. This was not a huge church. It was a small church. He was, so you could hear what was going on easily in the lobby for what was happening in the, in the sanctuary. And it was actually this Indian that had walked in, and he and he, it was actually a cold night, so he came in and there was a heater, so he wanted to get warm, so he was inside the main lobby of the church, and he all of a sudden starts walking down the main aisle towards what was happening in the front. And he says, uh, excuse me, he said, this man right here was just talking in my native Indian tongue. And he said, in my native Indian tongue, which none of them knew any Indian dialect or any Indian language. He said he was speaking perfect, perfectly in my native language. And he was saying that I needed to give my life to God. Now he didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was doing. And he wasn't running around the streets yelling in tongues. That would be weird. (laughs) All he was doing was saying, God, I just want to connect with you. I want this gift, and unbeknownst to him, some, an unbeliever heard it, was in his particular language, and gave his life to Jesus. Number two, Numbers, number two, number second reason for tongues is to strengthen fellow believers. Now we're going to spend uh, a little bit of time here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to start in uh, verse 3. And it says, but everyone who prophesies... Now, you've got to remember that, that Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And in writing to the Corinthian church, he's correcting. Remember, a corrective letter. And he's correcting some of the craziness that's going on. And so they've got people prophesying and speaking in tongues and all this. So he's trying to bring some order to the operation of the gifts. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's talking about the need to edify the body, the gathering. If you're there not just by yourself, but you're there with other people similar to tonight, then it is important that those around you are edified if you're going to be in operation of the gifts. I would like for every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, he is not downgrading tongues. I would rather that you prophesy and not speak in tongues. Some people um, ha- I've heard have said, uh, said, well, you know, I think what Paul's really discouraging, he's kind of discouraging tongues. You know, he's, he's saying we should all prophesy, so don't even worry about tongues. Which I heard somebody say, well, then you should at least speak in tongues, if it's the least, but that's not the case. Now, <laughs> but, but he is not downgrading it. What, he is, what he's saying is, he's not saying that prophecy is inherently better, or that one gift is better than the other, just by the nature of the gift. What he is saying is that in the gathering of believers, it is the most useful because it meets these criteria, it's intelligible and it's order. as long as it meets these criteria and it's intelligible and orderly. Now, he's going to go on here, and he says, Now, brothers, if I came to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church." He's saying, if you're going to use gifts in a gathering, we must keep in mind the context of what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're going to use the gifts in a gathering, they must edify the gathering. Now, I'll just make a brief uh, comment about interpretation of tongues. We're not going to spend much time on interpretation of tongues. First of all, interpretation of tongues does not mean translation of tongues, Okay? It is not some sort of, well, I know that word means this, and as if somebody would in- translate Chinese, if somebody were speaking in Chinese, or translate German, if you didn't know German and you're trying to communicate to an English speaker. Okay? It's not a translation, so somebody might have tongues, and he's saying here, if you have a tongue, a tongue is given within a gathering, a congregational setting, then it must be interpreted and so if it's going to be interpreted, if you feel like, well, how do, what, what, what is the interpretation of tongues? It's not a translation. It would be like God saying, you somehow feeling an impression of, I think this might mean this. Maybe a scripture might come to your heart. Maybe some sort of um, uh, uh, encouragement. It's, it's almost like I think of it as long-form prophecy. What he's saying is, I'd rather you prophesy because it's a little faster. <laughs> It's tongues and interpretation. Similar thing, because he's saying interpretation of tongues also edifies, but use prophecy, it's a little faster. <laughs> now, that's my Aaron Sternism kind of rolled into that, so feel free to ditch that. But essentially, he is saying, he's not saying, don't ever speak in tongues. Desire to prophesy, because that you know for sure that's going to edify the gathering. But if you do speak in tongues in a gathering, it necessitates an interpretation. Now, in doing this, verse 39, chapter 14, it says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So again, he's saying there's nothing inherently better about prophecy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. If you prophesy or if you speak in tongues and, and have an interpretation, they must be orderly. Let's not have too many. I'm gonna basically his he, he, his criteria is uh, don't speak out of turn. So don't if somebody starts speaking in tongues, don't just yell. Have a yelling match, a, who can yell louder? Um, and same with prophecy. So speak in turn, uh, only two or three, and if it's a tongue, it must be interpreted. So he's giving these, these, these idea, this idea of order. Now, number one is to communicate to unbelievers. Number two is to strengthen fellow believers. I said this several weeks ago when I was teaching here uh, on Sunday night. And I, I believe that we have the ability to operate within the gifts on a personal as well as a corporate, uh, in in a corporate setting. For instance, the Bible says that to some is given the gift of faith, but the Bible also says that we all have a measure of faith. The Bible says that we are all to give, right? There's not any one of us in here who would say, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to give to that guy who has, who needs some money, and I have some money, but I'm not going to give to him we would all say, oh, well, you should give him five bucks, you know, help him out a little bit. But some, the Bible says, are given specifically the gift of giving. So there's this individual and this corporate uh, operation of the gift of the gifts. And so gift of healing, gift of, you know, Bible says lay your hands on the sick that that they might be healed. It doesn't say uh, if you have the gift of healing. So we're all called to operate in and try to to do these things, though it seems like in some way there's this there's this different for a bit, lack of a better term there's a different level there's a different way about uh, uh, about the operation of these gifts if if it is a gift so with that being said the the gift of tongues can also be used on a very personal level this might this would be then the third reason for the gift of tongues, and it says it is to personally communicate with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2 says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And if you jump ahead then to verse 14, it says, I indeed, indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. So he has no idea what he's saying. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing with my mind. This, the, the idea of praying with our spirits. God is a spirit. We have a spirit. We are supernatural d- beings. We are not just flesh there's an aspect of us that is that, but we have a spirit, and it is about the spirit communicating with spirit. And what God, what, what Paul is saying here is talking about us personally communicating with God. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a position where, where maybe you feel like you're supposed to pray for something, but you have no idea what to pray, or you might have prayed for something as much as you know what to pray for, and you kind of uh, run out of words, but you want to continue to pray. I think that what Paul is saying is sometimes you pray in, this, in English, you pray in your, your common, your, your known language, your mother tongue, so to speak, but maybe then there's also, you would switch. We read that during, the, uh, during worship, the New Testament reading, is that you would sometimes pray in English and sometimes pray in tongues. You'd sometimes pray with your mind and then other times you pray with your spirit. It is a communication with God. Spirit communicating with spirit. To reread 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. And number four, the fourth reason for uh, for tongues is to strengthen ourselves. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So what Paul is saying is, if you speak in a tongue, you might not understand it, but you are edifying yourself, and that's all great and all, but if you're with a bunch of other people, that does them no good. <laughs> so, so don't do that. That's why you must get an interpretation so that it edifies the rest of the body. That's why the, the, the distinction between prophecy and interpretation of tongues and tongues is, 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 is happening here in 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul says, if you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself. I love this this verse here in Jude. Uh, There's only one chapter, so it's verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of worn-down, beat-up Christians. I know that there's a lot of worn-down, beat-up pastors. And I wonder sometimes if it's because we just aren't praying in the Spirit and edifying ourselves. Sometimes I feel like I have, don't know what to pray. I feel like I don't know what to do. And, and I'm just a little tired. But it's not just physically tired. I mean, that's just constant. I have four boys at home. I mean, I just, am, I just, I just have said it in my mind I'm going to be physically tired for the next 15 years, okay? So, so f- it's not just physically. You know when you're physically tired, or maybe even you're not physically tired, but there's an internal tiredness. And, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just I'm going to say, you know what, I'm actually going to get up early, <laughs> which is counterintuitive to being tired, and I'm going to get up early because I'm going to spend a little extra time just praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, building up, building myself up in my most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Spirit communicating with Spirit. Edifying myself. This is something that you can do whenever you want to. Like I said, this is not something that somehow God takes over your mind. You know, you got God's hand on the bottom of your jaw and your head. You're, I'm, I, you know, and you're gonna. So that means that you can you can speak in a, in a personal prayer language, whether you're whether you're driving in your car, whether you're in your office, or or wherever you might be in your backyard, in your home. Doesn't matter. You can pray in the Spirit. And what does it do? Does that mean that somebody needs to follow you around and interpret? You know, you're just praying in the Spirit, just edifying yourself, and some little hobbit is rocking around right behind you, you know, like the interpretation hobbit. You know, I I just don't think that that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying it edifies yourself, and so get edified. I don't know about you, but I'll take edification from the Holy Spirit of God. So, so, you know, like anybody that doesn't want it, I think, dude, (laughs) you're kind of, you're missing out. I mean, Paul says, I wish that y'all speak in tongues more than I do. And I speak a lot. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if he's like, you know, walking around the decks of ships and just, you know, as he's, as he's sailing from place to place and walking to different villages and the different places that he's going, just praying in the Spirit, just praying and, and getting strengthened and emboldened and enabled and the Holy Spirit of God. And maybe it's out of that that we see the letters that he writes to the church. And so, and so, so there's, a, there's a corporate aspect, and we talked about that first off, where there's a, a communication to those who are not not, not believers, uh, to strengthen fellow believers, the edification within a corporate gathering. And then on a personal basis, it is to communicate with God as well as to edify and strengthen yourself. So the question we kind of end up with here tonight as we close is what should I do if I want this in my life? And you might say, Aaron, I don't know that I want it. <laughs> I understand that. I really do. I mean, the reason I say that I understand it is because, because it's weird. I mean, there's no getting around it. It, there, it is. There's a weird aspect to it. It's, and maybe, maybe weird isn't the best word. It's, un, it's not necessarily something that we just easily or quickly grasp with our minds. But, but I'm pretty convinced that me understanding everything about the Holy Spirit isn't a prerequisite for me buying into what God has for me. If it is, then I'm not sure that I'm going to go that far. Now, I'm not saying check your brain at the door. I'm not saying that you just don't have to, you, you just put, put you know, any thought and any logic or any type of idea that you have about walking with God. Just check it at the door and just be out of control. We talked about that earlier. But what I am saying is that maybe we don't understand it, but we do recognize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So we say, I don't totally understand this. And it makes me a little nervous <laughs> because the idea of my spirit communicating with my spirit and me not understanding it and maybe meet somebody around me misunderstanding me, that scares me. But I think, you know what? I, Jesus said I would do it and I'm supposed to eagerly desire them. I think too often we're eagerly avoiding them or eagerly neglecting them. And so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just act crazy? What are we supposed to do? I think there's two very simple steps. Number one is that we ask. We simply might say, well, God, if God really wants me to have it, he'll, he'll make me have it. If somebody has, it's kind of like a boat. If you're a boat and you say, well, I want to go over there. Okay, make me go over there. But it's, 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 you've got to put a sail up. The Holy Spirit is like a wind, the Bible says. And so if the wind is going to catch us, we've got to put our sails up, which to me is the asking. Okay, God, I'm going to put my, my sail up here. And I don't know where you're going to take me, and I don't know exactly which direction the wind is going to blow, but I'm going to put my sail up, and I'm just going to ask. Okay, God, I, I would like this. That might be your first request. <laughs> Wondering if somehow you're, you're going to experience this, you know, lightning and weirdness. Holy Spirit's not weird. People are. So the first thing you ask, put up your sail. And the second thing is, is you act. Very simple. And what I mean by act is that God is not going to force your hand, your tongue. It's kind of like if God were giving you the gift of giving— if you had $100 in your back pocket and God was saying, you know what, I think there's a, there's a, there's a family that you're aware of that could really use some money, and you say, oh, I think, I think, I think I'm supposed to give them some money. $100 bucks is not going to f- just kind of float out of your pocket, float across the room, get into an envelope. God's going to write their address on there. You're gonna write a, it's gonna, he's going to write a little nice little note, put a stamp on there, float up off the desk and into the mailbox, and get to their house. Now, that would be pretty sweet if it did, but chances are that that's going to happen is slim to none. You've got to take the $100 bill out of your pocket and either put it in the mail or go and give it to them. There is an element of action. There's an element of you saying, okay, I think that this is happening in me, and so I am going to step out and act. God, I ask for the gift of giving. Okay, well, I think maybe, I think, I'm supposed to give some money to that person. Okay, I'm just going to act and do it. Okay, so they put up their sail, then they, the wind starts to blow, and then they act. Same thing. I think, and I think honestly this ask and act, this put up our sail and then act is, really applies to all of the gifts. It's not just the gift of tongues. It's not just the gift of giving. It's, okay, God, I eagerly desire this. I ask. I'm going to put my sail up. We might say, okay, God, go ahead and give it. We've just got a pole sticking out of the top of our boat, and we're like, how come I never move, you know? It's because, you, you know that sail thing that's all wrapped up right there? You need to unwrap it and put it up. Oh, yeah, but that, that means I might, like the boat might rock. I know! <laughs> Isn't that great? And so, so put the sail up, and so ask. Ask for them all. Ask for all of them all the time, I'm telling you. It's exciting. It's a little scary to, to rock the boat, though. You never know what kind of waves you're going to have. You never know what kind of wind is going to come along. And so, put the sail up. Same thing, gift of tongues. Put the sail up. God, I just ask. I'm asking for this. I'm kind of scared to ask, but I'm only asking because, because I think, I know that you're alive and I know that you're active and I know that you say that you eagerly desire these things and so I'm just going to ask. And, and so, God, I just ask that you would give that to me. And then you, you act. And maybe it just sounds like something in your head. I don't know. Um... You know, the, if you read through the book of Acts, sometimes people lay their hands on them and and they receive and they the gift of tongues, and other times they don't. I know, I know lots and lots of people that have received their personal prayer language, they've received the gift of tongues in their own bedroom. There's this one girl that um, went to the mill several years ago, and uh, I had talked about gift of tongues, and she had these CDs in the car. And, um, and she had grown up in a church where this was not talked about at all. And uh, she, she starts listening to it. And, and I, was, I was talking about, you know, uh, just ask for it. And so she, here she is. She had a commute to Denver. And so here she is on like day two or three re- listening to this CD. And she said, she's like, okay, here I go. And she pulled her car over. <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. And, and she pulled her car over and asked. And then she said, she, she emailed me and she said, I felt like the Holy Spirit filled the car. And I just started talking in this, this, this language. I didn't know what it was, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, that's, that's all it is. So, so we're going to close here in a second. There's not going to be a line of people up here that are going to come up here and, you know, push on you or... Or, you know, tell you to repeat after me, you know, how do I untie a bow tie, or should I bought a Hyundai, should I bought a Honda, you know, none of none of that, you know, okay? So all it takes is you just, and God. There's no magic formula. Sometimes, if you want somebody to pray for you, people will be happy to pray for you. But this isn't about me. This isn't about somebody saying, hey, I, I, I got it. It's about you and God, and you just saying, okay, God, I... I your Holy Spirit is active. I want the, ho- the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life. So it's not about trusting. And my question to you tonight, as we finish, is are you willing to trust God when you don't understand? I think all that, that question goes along not just with the gift of tongues, but all of the supernatural aspects of God, the Holy Spirit. There's so many times we might be, read through here, but I don't understand but God, I, I, I trust you because I know who you are and you're good. You're so good and you have my best interest in mind. You know, think about that. If you, if, do we really, if you wonder, like if, you, if you're at a place where you say, I don't know that I want, I don't, I'm not going to ask. Back up then. Don't Back off from what we're talking about here tonight and just say, do I believe that God has my best interest in mind? Because if you truly believe that he has your best interest in mind, if you really believe that, then when you get to this and he says eagerly desire you say, I don't understand. I don't know how this works, but I know you have my best interest in mind. So for you to say eagerly desire is for my best interest. And it all comes out of us knowing how how much God loves us and has our best interest in mind. Okay, let's stand up. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God. We so quickly want to intellectualize everything about you and about your spirit and it's it's like trying to understand wind. Even here in our on our planet, wind is so It's so amazing. It's, it's, we can see it, and it has profound effects, but to know the mind of wind, to know where it's coming from and how, which way it's going to blow and how it works, it, we can't quite grasp it. And you and your spirit work so often in the same way. We see the impacts of it. We understand what it does. We, we, we hear it. We see it. But God, we can't always grasp it. And in many ways, God, I think that That's by design. Because you're ultimately interested in our faith and our trust in you. Ultimately interested in us submitting our hearts and saying, Jesus, I give you my heart. My heart is yours. Don't understand everything. I'm in a process of maturity and growth. But tonight, I I trust you. And so I pray that trust would well up in our hearts that this talk wouldn't be about us saying, oh, I want to I wanna operate in the gifts for excitement factor, but God, that it would, it would be about something in our heart saying, God, I want to trust you more. And I want to, as a result of trusting you more, I just want to allow you to operate in my life, not for me, but for the people around me, for the, your church. And so God, use me. I trust you, and out of my trust, I allow you to use me. God, I pray that we would all take the heart posture of eagerly desiring the gifts that you have for us. Be at work in each and every one of us, God. We love you, we trust you, we need you. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, well, thank you all for being